The following resource is presented by the Counseling and Conference Services of IOM America. Welcome to Identity Matters Podcast. Hi, my name is Steve Finney and I will be your host. We welcome our podcast listeners to our series, Identity for Eternity. And if you have forgotten, since we've taken our time going through this category called grace, the whole purpose of us having a podcast series, which is now today our 101 podcast on the Identity for Eternity series. The technology allows us to hear people's voices all over the world through this little device right here. And how my voice gets from this room to a classroom in India is totally normal, natural, and neutral from people in villages in Africa to institutions in uh, India or America. But somehow thinking that the Spirit can podcast to the entire body of Christ <coughs> at the same time? One podcaster called the Holy Spirit? No, it's not happening. Everyone hears a different message. Everyone has a different interpretation of grace. Everyone has a different interpretation of love. Everyone has a different interpretation of church. Everyone has a different... We are so opposite of even what normal, natural, neutral technology shows us. Because we are an arrogant people. We have to say what was said to us before we believe it. So as we finish this section on grace has conditions, let's keep that hearing God thing in mind because that should be our focus as a teacher as well as a listener. So listeners, I want you to listen very carefully. This is, I asked the Lord to give me a single statement that if they didn't get anything else out of the podcast, get a single statement, if they embrace this message, the Spirit of the living God could transform them. And it is this what I believe God gave me. We need first an authentic indwelling of the supernatural life of grace. For without it, we can do nothing. Nothing. Honey, can you scramble eggs without Jesus? Now, a lot of people have said about Janie and to Janie of how cute that is. We still receive testimonies after all these years of ladies that have had their lives touched deeply by her illustration. Well, she got it from her mentor. That we came down, we were in marriage counseling at Keith's home with his wife was Judy. She came down and went into the kitchen to help Judy get breakfast together for all of us. And the discussion was? She said, I can't scramble eggs without Jesus. Now she served us a gourmet restaurant, beautiful, you know. 
just looked at her and like, what are you talking about? And I knew that she understood something I didn't. Right. And just to think that from Judy, she's now in her 70s or whatever, that that's, she didn't, I doubt she thought about, man, when am I going to make this statement to, to Jane? It just came out. Now that is so significant that if you think you can accomplish anything outside of the indwelling life of Christ, you're of a very evil world. So whether you are an educator, whether you are a chef, whether you are a mommy, whether you are a daddy, whether you are a child, the conclusion must be, I am nothing. Galatians 6.3 says, anyone, anyone who thinks he's something when he's nothing, deceives himself. You don't even need Satan anymore. That is how the natural life functions. It deceives itself. So to get this transformation through grace, we have to have the supernatural life of grace, Jesus. For without it, we can do absolutely nothing. Once he is received into our mortal bodies, just as in Jack the Journey when that demonic spirit was confessing that he possessed the rat. Well, most people aren't going to question that. Jesus talks about demons being in pigs and, you know, there's ministries all over the world that have got old stories about that. But when you come and talk about the indwelling life of Jesus Christ, the very mind of Christ is inside you, the very life of Christ is in here, wanting to live out, well, then they start calling you something strange. Wow. Kids are believing demon stuff faster than they are church stuff. That's the society we live in. And my friends in India know that one face to face. Once he is received, we may then cooperate with the divine activity of God's grace in and through his son's life from within the believer, the bride of Christ. Thus provoking manifestations of grace, the Holy Spirit, through our repentance and our obedience. Grace is the activity of God. The Holy Spirit is the workforce of God's activity. Do you understand that? If you, if you didn't have the Holy Spirit living inside you, you have no activity of God in you. Now, 602-292-2982 I'm just putting my number out there because there's some that like to dialogue about this. If you believe that's true, just text me, yes. If you believe that if the Holy Spirit was not living inside the born-again Christian, that the activity of God would cease. That's all you have to answer. So here locally... Raise your hand if you believe that. Okay. This is just simple logic. 
So if the Holy Spirit was not present on the earth, would the activity of God cease? Ah, a little more difficult to answer that one, huh? No. I am one of the ones that believes that when the rapture occurs, the Holy Spirit is removed from the presence of this earth, and that's why the earth goes to hell in seven years. There's no activity of God through the indwelt believers. And everything goes bad really, really fast. If you think you can battle demons today... <laughs> You only can because of the indwelling life of Christ. But those people who are left behind will have nothing. Now, if you can believe that, it goes one layer deeper. So if the Holy Spirit was removed from the presence of this earth, there is no activity of God God is turning man over to his flesh for the destruction of the entire world. God made a promise after the flood. Now some of you theologians that are listening know this to be true because you've been into the Word and you've uh, understood the Word in a way that most church attenders don't. But there were many humans that had sex with demons in the Old Testament. And the result of sex with demons were these giants. Before the flood, there was demonic ancestral activity going on to the point that we had these great beasts. Fire-breathing dragons. Yes, they do exist, did exist. It's in Job. Dinosaurs, why don't you see these things flying around? Why don't you see these things uh, eating out of your backyard anymore? Is because God brought complete destruction to them and buried them with water. He poured his wrath of water over the earth. He started all over with a guy by the name of Noah. And his three sons. And those three sons are? We have Ham, Shem, and Japheth. Stay with me on this. You cultural learners know this to be true. The European culture, us white folks, came out of Japheth. And Ham is our dark races. And Shem is the lineage of the true seed of the Hebrew. From three sons. There are three fighting against each other today. When you open your newspaper tomorrow morning, you're going to hear, read something about racism. Princeton just decided, the president of Princeton just decided this month that he is giving the African Americans permission to have their own society on campus. 
because there's too many whites versus blacks on campus. They need their own mess hall. They need their own study library. They need their own. These were the mandates put on the president. The president said no to those, but he says, I will allow you to have your own club. It's still going on, contrary to Martin Luther King's success. The reason why it's still going on is because of these three brothers. And the, the Muslims come out and saying they must kill the Antichrist of Japheth. That's Europe. Why do they need France? I can tell you exactly why they need France. The Muslims have to kill the Antichrist of Europe. It's a part of their prophecies. Japheth. What race are they a part of? It's not Ham. It's Shem. Because see, Shem descendants moved their way down to Abraham. And Abraham decides to have sexual relations with a woman of Egypt. Who's of Ham. You see what happened? Intercede. So the promise that was going to Isaac now had to be split off to go with Ishmael. And now those two brothers are going to have it out for the rights of Shem. It's in every story. It's in every book of the Bible. And God washed out that destruction. He started brand new. And he said, for I will never destroy the earth again. Did he not say that? He gave a rainbow to kind of remind us of that. So what did the largest movement in the entire world do? They took the rainbow and turned it into a symbol of international gay rights. So thus I get a posting on one of my creation videos this week of Jesus was gay. And if you believe in him, you are gay. Where does that logic come from? <laughs> the rainbow. You see, Satan uses cute things. Who would look at a kid playing with a video game? It's compulsive. <laughs> being sucked into a world. That's like being on drugs. We proved that in, in a science class in University of Colorado. How visual video games pull you in to get this euphoric feeling of drive. I gotta win. And the enemy just hammers you. And destroys you. Why? Because you're in another world. So then he thought, wow, that, that's, a good, that's a good plan. Let's get the whole world thinking they're in a different world. When there's a really a reality world outside their world. Let's get the whole world in a bubble. You guys up for that? Yeah! Holy demonic spirits are like, go, go, go. Let's do it. So they create this fantasy world. Money, performance, striving. It's like a video game. Better, better, mile level 21. How many levels are there again in this game? 150! 
Well, how's that different than a job? How's that different than anything? So here's the cuteness of video, and I counseled a video designer. He's so good, he designed war games for the military. That's how good this guy was. So I asked him this, because that's always fascinated me. He says, it's so easy. You just keep throwing breadcrumbs. I'm going to throw them over here in that building. But you're always leading them somewhere to the deeper, darker levels. Because we can count on one thing. People love darkness. See, as much as Jack fights the dark forest, he's fascinated by it. All he had to do is just keep walking by these creatures, right? Duh! Just keep walking. Don't la 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 la. But he doesn't. He wants to engage. He wants to win. Well, Satan knows those all work. So the next time God said, I'm going to let you all do what? Destroy yourselves. I'm going to let you destroy the world. Because I promise you, I'm not doing it. You guys do it. And when he pulls the spirit away from the earth, that's exactly what's going to happen. In several, seven simple years. 1 Corinthians 15.10 says, But by the grace of God, this isn't the grace of Jesus. This is God saying, by my son. We have tied so much about grace into the Holy Spirit and Jesus and, and they're all a part of that. This is God. He owns it. By the grace of God, I am what I am. When God spoke to Moses and, and, and Moses asked for his name, if you haven't noticed, I do the same thing with Jack the Journey. Who's your master? Because I train men to go to the top. Because if you spend too much time dealing with people under leaders... They're ultimately, they're only going to take you as far as their leader wants you to go. So you train them to go to the top. Who's your master? You see, the name is what proclaims the identity, who you are. So when Moses asked God for his name, God responded with, I am that I am. A lot of people think it's the same Hebrew word. I am, I am. It's two separate Hebrew words. He's saying, I am all of the identities. I'm everything you see. All of creation. I am all the identities. I'm a, I am a carpenter. I am a every job. That's what he's saying. 
So in other words, Moses, all you got to do is just kind of look out every day beyond yourself and you'll see the great I am. So Satan comes along and goes, okay, I get that. Now I'm going to get people to say, I am a doctor. I am a carpenter. I am a merchant. I am, and the list goes on and on and on. Mockery. Can you imagine if Jesus said, well, I'm a great carpenter because I spent my whole life at it. You want to see some of my tables? Jesus was a carpenter because it was the most practical skill to give to Jesus to build lives. It had nothing to do with wood. And that is how it's supposed to work. The verse goes on and says, And his grace toward me did not prove to be vain. Proud. Oh, he's so vain. See, it didn't prove itself to be proud. This wasn't an arrogant statement of God saying, I am the I am. And now Paul is saying, I am who I am because of the grace activity in his son. So then he says, but I labor even more than all of them. Yet not I, but the grace of God within me, which is who? Jesus. This is not complicated stuff. Here's a little bit about grace, how we got it all twisted up. Grace as an action developed in the debates of St. Augustine, Catholic, Chambers, with the Pelagans, which is a belief of people that believe that the, the original sins that Adam and Eve committed do not have an effect on nature. In other words, you could eat from this piece of fruit Satan gave Eve and then Eve gave to Adam, and it didn't change the molecules in your body. It didn't change your mind. It, it didn't do anything. Also, all these people teaching that after Adam and Eve ate from this fruit that they became fallen creatures and started serving the father of lies, they're all liars. But they had this grace thing to deal with. Now, the medieval times were very critical times because this is when a lot of the deception of the postmodern church is suffering today. A decision today will not truly manifest itself for another hundred years. But a hundred years to God is nothing. It's a little over a vapor. So Satan can make a decision back in the fifth century, and we could be living it today. He knows that. You don't. He does know how it works. If you lie to a child at the age of four, when he's 40, he's going to be, be in mass destruction. Satan knows that. You don't. You think your love is going to take care of this child, all of his wives. Yeah. We'll see how that works out for you. Some of the most loved children in the world today, they are our murderers. 
spoiled, rotten. Never challenged with adversity. We have character because we endure our trials. So you parents who are keeping trials away from your child, I'm just giving you a wake-up call. Set your alarm clock for 30 years. That's what they had to deal with with this warring going on between what is this grace? Is it external? Is it conditional? What is it? So they came up with an agreement. So this was later to affect the Calvinist branch of the church, which was who? John Calvin. It carried an internal connection between grace and cause. Grace in behavior, grace in reaction, grace in a response. Few disagreed with it. Because grace does oftentimes provoke a response. But you still go to hell. But see, in our postmodern church age today, they say, no you don't. Yesterday I had to sit and listen to, I last counted, as five songs for one of the biggest universalists in America, in the music community. And listening, watching this Christian listen and sing along to this universalist, destructive, gifted musician as a Christian. And able to blow that piece aside and receive the words. Well, you know how well that sets with me. That's that's what happened. This decision that they made is in our culture today. And Christians are able to go along with universalists and not even give it another thought. It, It doesn't even bother them. Well, it's not what I believe. Well, who cares what you believe? I'm concerned about the world going to hell in a handbasket. I'm not concerned about you and your belief system. That's so selfish. What you believe does not matter to me. I don't care. What I believe is what Christ believes inside you. That's what I care about. And I care about you embracing the mind of Christ in you. Now we're on the same page. But for me to sit around for hours and listen to to your borderline emergent universalism trying to prove a point about grace or love, you're wasting my time. There's no value in it. But if you want to talk about what does Christ mean by what he says... Now that's a good investment. Boy, am I going to get an email on that one. (coughs) So this connection between grace and cause or behavior, which had a harmful effect on the whole medieval period, which is the 5th through the 15th century, and the churches that were birthed from that era, and it continues to reproduce or to produce the church of Laodicea today. I pray to God you guys are making this connection 
that all Satan has to do is to get a bunch of guys arguing over grace being external or internal. Is it life or is it a gift? Simple, simple thing to argue over. You get a bunch of Protestants in there, anti-Catholics. You get a bunch of Catholics in there. And then you get a bunch of worldly people in there from the University of Alexander just interested in clear thought. And you just get them talking about, is grace external or not? Their one decision is what formed the church of Laodicea. The church, Christ said, I will spit you out of my mouth. Nah, it doesn't, doesn't work that way, does it? You just think your decisions in your little lifetime is what changes this wicked world to be more wicked. We have an enemy who's a lot brighter than most humanoids. We were about as dumb as sheep being led to a slaughter. See what I'm saying? Because we think every decision's for now, 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 now. And we're just being, you know, just a little breadcrumb, just like the guy said. And all of a sudden we wake up years later and we look at the world around us and we go, I wonder if the Muslims are in America now. I wonder. Do you know how far in the future they're planning to take this country? Using immigration laws or using... They're using whatever. It's just getting in to have them settle into the communities and all of a sudden they come out with their guns and they go into some clinic on Christmas party day, Christ day, and they slaughter 17 people who believe in Christ. No, that... That didn't happen in a week. The guy was an American citizen for years. And then he married a gal that was to bring in the plan. And they couldn't ask her not to come because it's this guy's wife, who's an American citizen. See, they think through the destruction. And we have to wait till it hits the news. And then we ask the question. Well, I wonder if they're really coming in and trying to take down our country. The answer to that question is an affirmative yes. Why do we do that? Why do we not see that the enemy works well in advance? To have you and I sit around twiddling our thumbs, telling everyone that they're, they're nice people. How many times have you heard someone say, you know, he's a real good, he's a good man. Uh, I'm not afraid to say, is he born again? Because good people go to hell every day. Is he born again? Because any good that dwells within us is Christ. And if we don't have Christ in us, there's no good that dwells within me. So you call him a good man, you're emergent. Now see, that's how my mind goes. In three seconds, bing, bing, bing. And the rejection I get back from it is, oh, you're just whatever. I hate you. I won't walk on the same sidewalk as you. 
We've got to keep it to the original messenger. And that's God. The history goes on to show us at the Synod of Dort, 1618 to 1619, that's a long meeting, the Reformed Calvinists asserted this two-way form of effectual grace, grace based on effect, declaring that God cannot be resisted when he offers his grace to man instead of his life. Really? Have you not noticed we have fewer salvations today than we had in the 80s? We have fewer salvations today than we had in the 40s. The salvation, if you... I mean, even these Pew Research people and Barnes and Barna or whoever, they can't measure it all. But they will tell you that the salvations are on a decline. You see, this never did work. This never did throwing grace out like it is an external gift can cause the person to go, I can't resist that. Yeah, they can't resist it become universal. That'd be true. Calvinistic theology to this day advocates irresistible grace. In fact, in their tulip, the I stands for irresistible grace. So stay with me on this, particularly you Calvinist. When, you, when your forefathers sat around that meeting back in the 5th century and you argued and fussed over, is grace external? Is it cause and effect? And you all came to this conclusion that made the Catholics happy for their sacraments and made you know the Protestants happy because of what grace is able to do. It's irresistible. Because of that decision, in 1600, your denomination put it in their doctrinal statement as a primary statement of belief. Tulip. Irresistible grace. Now Jane could tell you what tulip stands for. Which is? T is? Total depravity. Unconditional election. Unlimited atonement. Irresistible grace. And perseverance of the saints. I'm sorry, Calvin. He knows today what it really is. I do believe John Calvin was a Jesus-loving, born-again teacher. We did this to his stuff. So I've read a lot of his original stuff, and it's pretty clear. We make even our history teachers emergent by rewriting about them and revisionizing and re-historical, making new historical statements. So each of their tulip points overemphasizes God's divine action to the neglect of diminishing the indwelling life of Christ. So when I deal with a Calvinist, 
talking about the indwelling life of Christ is it'll, it stretches them a little too much because they are very behavior oriented. Choice, 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 except for when it comes to elect, elect. So therefore the church from the Calvin group became performance oriented. The sacramentalist theology of the Romans, or the state church, was carried over into much of the Protestants, Protestants, non-Catholic, in their view of sacraments being a means of grace. Whereas the Catholics would actually believe there's a transformational element that takes place. I'm going to pour wine into the cup and when it hits a human tongue, it turns to blood. They actually believe they're drinking the blood of Christ. Go talk to your priest if you don't believe me. And that the holy water at the church, as you come in and you stick your, your five fingers in there, and you touch the top of your forehead, the mind of Christ, as a priest told me, is actually holy. No, it's out, of, it's out of the tap from the bathroom. Unless you're one of the churches that orders it directly from the tap water in the Vatican. It's not holy. So see, they wanted these sacraments to be so external that it activated grace. So therefore, you have to be buried by a priest or a pastor. You have to have a pastor do the communion service. You have to have a pastor to marry you. And I don't know if any of you know this. Anyone can marry anyone. You don't need to be a pastor. The state does not care who's standing up here. They care about the license they signed. It's the state that married you. So you can have your emergent pastor up here. Or their kid. Did they buy the license and did they sign it? Because we marry you. And we decide if you're divorced. That's the truth. So, the the splitting of this, taking it into the church on both sides, Catholic and Protestant, is what put this in cement that grace is truly external. The result of this historical blunder is as few today put the emphasis on the saving life, grace, of Jesus that actually lives inside the believer. It is an external action. Oops. Grace is the active expression of God. We've talked about this before, but with the success of misinterpretation and twisted view, it is of utmost importance that we understand that grace is the active expression of the very Spirit, Holy Spirit of God Himself, and not the giving out of some external thing, principle, or empowerment. The grace activity of God is available to man to be freely received by faith upon being indwelt. 
If you notice, kids, Jack is going from carrying the staff to the sword. Right now you're at the spot of the story where I'm introducing the sounds when he picks up his staff. You're hearing the sound <coughs> of a sword. We're taking from law to inward life of grace. The staff is the symbol of external power, which is how the Old Testament was managed. Grace was external. And it was external because it was external. After the indwelling life of Christ was given to us as a special gift, it becomes internal. So it goes from a staff, external person being the key person, versus inward life of Christ being the key person, is the true transition. So those who try to keep these sacraments and external activities alive in the New Covenant are throwing us into the emergent church. So the fact is, God's divine grace, Jesus, can, can be resisted by man. If you look into the world today, he's resisted every day. And there are people that, that are going to go to hell because they resisted. So the possibility always exists that man can choose not to respond to the invite of Christ by the faith he offers. In fact, as Hebrew law uh, shows us, that 90% of the humans do so. He also said not to receive the grace of God. This is the grace of God, not Jesus. Not to receive the grace of God in vain, with pride. And if you do, you didn't really get it. So, but to recognize how God functions by his grace. Paul states to the Galatians that when an indwelt Christian reverts back to legalistic performance, Calvinism, or any other form of legalism, what happens? I got it in white for you. It's fallen from what? From grace. And ends up what? Severed from Now I'm going to let that hang there. And that is where we're going to pick up next week because this is a very, very important point. Does this mean you lose your salvation? Does this mean you never had salvation to start with? Does this mean your salvation was in your doing? What does this really mean? Paul's very clear about it. Is that if you go back to performing in your Christianity, you're going to fall from grace, the activity of God. And you're going to sever yourself from Christ. It is one of the verses used by denominations or individuals that believe you can lose your salvation. This is one of their key verses. We need to talk about it. Of what does that really mean? So for our podcast listeners, I want you to contact me at uh, 602-292-2982 and uh, feel free to text me or call me or send me an email of any questions that you might have. 
But right now we're going to go to our local listeners and see if they have any questions or comments about today's message. Next week is going to be uh, kind of polishing up the edges around the, the conditions of grace. And then we're going to break into a brand new area. And uh, I'll let that be a surprise to all of us. This resource has been presented by the Counseling and Conference Services of IOM America. For more information about our ministries, visit us online at iomamerica.org. That's iomamerica.org.